Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you guys this weekend. And welcome, everybody, watching online also. Thanks for joining us and uh, being together as a church family this weekend. Uh, lots and lots of stuff happening here at Grace, and it's always a blast and exciting. Uh, we told you earlier about the, the Grace Seminary coming in. I encourage you guys, if you've ever wanted to kind of formally study the Bible more, or if you have continuing educa education credits at work, or if you're retired or young and just want to pursue another degree, it's a fully accredited degree, and it's like a big deal that it's right here locally. And so I encourage you to take advantage of that. It's going to be fun, and it's not just for our interns and our residents, uh, but really for anybody who's interested in that. So be a part of it. And then, of course, this weekend is groundbreaking. So if you, uh, if you came in uh, this weekend or maybe you drove past the building, you're seeing lots and lots of big equipment and a big steel beam, and uh, that's going to be fun. You can go outside and see. We kind of painted off uh, the footprint of the new building and look at all that. And so uh, Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock, we're going to groundbreak that and uh, want you to be a part of it. Come on in for that today and, and be a part of it and, uh, and check things out. Bring a shovel. Uh, and uh, we're going to do that rain or shine. So regardless of what the weather is, uh, we're going to uh, have a, a good time together and be a part of it and want you to do that. And then what's going to happen uh, starting uh, at 4 o'clock, we'll, we'll break that ground. And then from there, things are going to hit kind of high gear a little bit. And so as you drive past the building or come in for services, you're going to see a lot of stuff almost immediately start to be disrupted and, and uh, see the guys uh, get right to work. If you have children at the Gent Road building, uh, you're going to have lots of changes. So uh, starting May 1st, we're going to move the kids to the other side of the building. And so just keep your eye out for signs and things like that. What is now our nursery wing upstairs and downstairs is all getting demolished. So that's all going to go away. And we're going to move the kids, kind of tuck them into other places in our building. And, uh, and that, they'll have a great time. It'll be awesome. It'll be fun. But there's just going to be lots and lots of changes. And then as we go through this building process, you're going to notice lots and lots of changes. So uh, it's, it's going to be disruptive, but we're working on our dreams. And we're working on what we believe God has called us to. And at the end of it all, it's going to be fantastic and exciting to, to be a part of it. So it'll be fun as you come into church every week uh, to see those changes and watch all that play out. Um, but that all kicks off right now, and so we're excited about it, and uh, of course, want you to be a part of it. So lots and lots of fun stuff like that going on. We're in a series right now that we call So Close, uh, things that get in between us and God, and we've been talking about how there's these, uh, there's these fine lines in our life, right? There's a fine line between winning, losing, victory, defeat, a hilarious story and a tragic story, and there's a fine line that often plays out for us in faith as well. Uh, decisions that we would make between what we would believe or not believe, what we would accept about Christ or not accept about Christ. And that fine line can affect our salvation, that can affect whether we receive it or not, that can affect whether we kind of embrace God at his word, at his promises, and whether we receive the life that he really wants to give us or not. And so we've been looking at that, kind of looking how that plays out a little bit. 
and, uh, and how that shakes out in, in our life. So I wanna show you another one of these fine lines this, this weekend. And I wanna, I wanna introduce you to a lady who was kind of walking that fine line a little bit. And then I wanna talk a lot about her life and show you how Jesus interacted with her, all right? So we talk a lot here at Grace that we wanna, we wanna discover the heart and the mind of Jesus. We wanna know who he is, how he loves us, and then we also wanna understand what he thinks and why. And this weekend, we're gonna lean like kind of in a special way into his heart. And I want you to see his heart for this lady and what he was pursuing in her, how he cared about her, and what she had to learn to trust and hold on to with him. So let me introduce you to her, and then we'll talk about this some. So if you got a Bible, grab it. Let's go to John chapter four. John chapter four, if you wanna use the Bibles that are in the chairs there, it's page 863, and this is on the app as well. And we often call this the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well, all right? So John chapter four, Jesus is traveling with his disciples. He's kind of headed to a different town and he walked about 30 miles out of his way to intentionally go to this region called Samaria. And he wanted to connect with this lady. And so there's a lot of ramifications to that. We won't dig at all of them this weekend, but we'll pick it up in verse seven. Jesus goes to Jacob's well and he interacts with this lady. It's about noon at the well. In verse seven, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Verse nine, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink for Jews don't associate with Samaritans? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself along with his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Therefore, indeed, the water I give them uh, will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus said to him, sir, give me that water so I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here and drawing this water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is that you have five husbands and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father speak, uh, seeks. Uh, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. 
And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So this super fascinating interaction between Jesus and this woman at the well or this Samaritan woman, right? So let me just frame it up here a second for you. This lady was a lady who had a lot of pain in her life, right? And Jesus surfaces that pain. They're talking back and forth about water, back and forth about the well. Jesus lays down the metaphor of living water. If you drink it, you'll never thirst again. She's not really connecting with that. In fact, she's a little bit defensive. So she's a little bit snarky. Well, it's a bit, you don't have anything to get it with. It's a deep well. Get your own living water. And he's like, you're going to want this. She's like, well, tell me how to get the living water so I don't have to keep coming here and lugging water up, right? She's speaking out of her pain. And then what Jesus does is kind of fascinating. He real abruptly interacts with her. And he's like, you know what? Let's go ahead and hop off of this metaphor, merry-go-round. Call your husband. I don't have one. You're right. You've had five. And now you're living with your boyfriend. So you're right. (laughs) You don't have a husband, right? And Jesus just almost startles her and shocks her and he's cutting to the core of what she is struggling with. In the ancient world, for a woman to be divorced five times and then to be living in sin with a boyfriend was absolutely unheard of in the ancient world and it tells us a lot about this lady's life. She was at the well at noon in the middle of the day. In the Middle East, you don't do anything at noon. If you're gonna get water to run a home, because there's one well for the village, you go in the morning, because you cook in the morning and you clean in the morning and it's not a gazillion degrees outside in the morning. So the fact that she's at the well by herself at noon, and we now know she has five husbands and a boyfriend, tells us that she's isolated, that she's rejected, that the other women in the village would have treated her like a harlot. Nobody wants to be around this woman. Nobody wants to be attached to this woman. In fact, this lady is living in shame and living in embarrassment and living in sin and living in a cycle of destruction. And she has done that again and again and again and again and again. And that's why she's at that well. And in the middle of all that, Jesus Christ travels 30 miles out of his way, because God doesn't do anything by accident, to show up to talk to her by herself at that well about her pain and her soul and the cycle of destruction that is in her life, right? And at first she responds to Jesus the way that she would have responded to everybody in her life. Are you here to harass me? It's a deep well, get your own water. Are you here to, Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Are you, are you just another racist in my life? Another sexist in my life that's gonna treat me like dirt? Are you mocking me? Then give me some water so I don't have to get more water out of the well then. 
And Jesus looks at her and he's like, you know what, you're not getting this. Call your husband. Let's just talk about the pain. And let's talk about the sin. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. I don't have one. You're right. You got five and a boyfriend. Right? So let's talk about that. Right? You ever think about why we live in destructive cycles in our life? You ever think about that? You, you ever look at a cycle in your life and, and think, why do I keep doing this again and again and again, right? Why is it that we'll have habits, uh, we'll have addictions, we'll have temptations, that we will return to over and over again. And as we return to it over and over again, what that return does is deepen our shame, deepen our frustration, and deepen our disgust with ourselves. You ever notice that? You ever notice that you have certain things in your life, and it's the things in your life that you kind of habitually do their destructive behaviors, their sinful habits, their choices that we'll make. And it's the part of your life that you like the least. And you look and say, why do I do this, right? I know that I will feel better. I know that I will feel lighter. I know that I will feel healthier. I know that I will feel cleaner. So why do I go and do that? I'm trying to lose the 10 pounds. Why did I just eat a box of Twinkies and now I'm gonna be sick in the morning? I hate this addiction. Why do I return to it when I know that it destroys my relationships? I, I understand what anger does in my family and how the shrapnel of anger just blows into my spouse's life and my children's life. And I tell myself, I, I'm not gonna get mad about that again, but I can't like stop myself from getting mad about that. I, I know, I know that the more I long for sex and the more I engage in pornography, the more that puts walls up between me and my spouse with sex but I can't break that pattern in my life. I know that money can't buy me happiness, but I'm addicted to the acquisition of it. I hate being in debt, but I just went and signed the papers. Like I've lived enough life that I'm, I'm pretty confident where these patterns play out. But when I look back on my life, what I see is this pattern playing out again and again and again and again. And if you ask me to list the things that I like the least about myself, those are the things that I would write down and those are the things that I keep doing. You ever wonder why we do that? What causes us to live that way? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you what I think the answer is. It's gonna surprise you, ready? I think the reason that we live in destructive patterns and harmful behaviors, ready? Is because we're searching for God. God created us with appetites 
He created us with longings. He created us with needs. And he created us in such a way that our soul has to be filled. And those appetites and longings that we have within us, we've been lied to most of our life that we'll tell ourselves that those things are just our biology. I hunger, I thirst, I have a sex drive, I have a compulsion. Like we'll, we've been told that. That's just a part of our humanity and that's what it is. We've also been told that because it's a part of our biology, we can't do anything about it or because it's our biology, what we ought to do is feed it so that we can accomplish what we want to accomplish for ourselves. So if you have a lust for money what you should do is go get that money. And if you got enough, maybe that lust would be satisfied. If you have a lust for sex, you should go get that sex. And if you could get the thing that you want, then that thing would be satisfied. And that thinking and those lies actually over time always lead us on a path of destruction. Pleasure turns into addiction. Sex turns into shame, if it's outside the context of marriage. Money turns into materialism, see? Getting a buzz on turns into alcoholism. And we don't like that, but why do we keep doing it? Why did God create us that way? Is he trying to tempt us? Is he kind of trying to make us miserable? Is he trying to trick us? Or is there something else that he wants us to do with those longings? This is what I would propose. I would propose that God gives us those appetites and those longings so that as human beings, we have an instinct to search we're searching for something. We have a soul that needs to be satisfied. And the reason God created us to search or the reason that he created us with appetites is not so that we could please ourselves or so that we could be a glutton on whatever. He created us to search or he created us to need to be satisfied so that we would know to search for the one who can fulfill our soul. That longing to overeat is a longing for God. That longing to be sexually immoral is a longing for God. That longing to drink and be an addict is a longing for God. And if we fill those longings with anything other than God, those very longings will lead us away from the one that they were intended to draw us to. And that's what happened to this lady. This lady is not a jerk. She's not a harlot. She's a woman in the ancient world. In the ancient world, if you're a woman and you don't have a man you have no safety and you have no security. She doesn't know how else to create that for herself but to have a man in her life. And so she'll find one and she'll find one and she'll find one and she'll find one. In the ancient world, if you're a woman, 
you have no significance unless you have a child. If you want to have a child, you need a man. So I want to be fulfilled. I want to have significance. And this is the only way that I can make that happen. She wants, she wants love. She wants intimacy. She wants to be wanted. And in those few moments, in those moments where she can feed her addiction or, or she can surrender her body or, or she can somehow break out of feeling isolated, feeling rejected, feeling worthless, uh, feeling ashamed, in those moments of pleasure, when you first meet the guy, it feels so good, and then it goes so wrong. But if I could go recreate that feeling, when I'm engaged with him sexually, it's so good. Somebody wants me, then it goes away, and I feel shame. But if I could recreate that feeling, I am having my needs met, and that's what I want. And Jesus looks at her and says, I want to fulfill your soul. She says, you're treating me like everybody else. Why don't you get your own drink of water? And he says, call your husband. And I don't have one. You're right, you got five and a boyfriend. And you've been on this pattern. And this pattern isn't necessarily blatant rebellion against God. You just don't know what else to do. And you're doing this, call your husband. Is that working for you? This pattern isn't you rejecting all the morals you were taught as a child. You are surviving and trying to make it through. Call your husband. Are you surviving and making it through? Wouldn't you like to have something else in your life? Right? Now, this is what's fascinating. They go through this whole interaction. It's a little bit snarky. Jesus is a little bit confrontational. Right? And then she says this in verse 25. She said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Isn't that fascinating? Five husbands and a boyfriend later, I don't think this lady went to church on the weekends. I don't think she was in a life group. I'm not even sure she listened to my podcast. Like, I don't think that's who she was. She was five husbands and a boyfriend in, but she heard about a Messiah, and when you hear about a Messiah, and you know that that Messiah is able to explain things, what that tells me is, not only did you hear about a Messiah, but you longed for one. I heard that there's a Savior. I heard that. I, I heard that there's somebody who can make life make sense. I heard that if this guy exists, that if he actually shows up, if he exists, he'll explain everything to me. He'll explain to me why I'm a Samaritan and the Jewish people that the Messiah is supposed to come from He'll explain why they hate me 
and don't want to interact with me. He'll explain, he'll explain what happened to me as a little girl that caused me to sexualize my whole life. He'll explain why nobody loves me. I do everything that they ask me to do. And they don't love me, they use me. And when they're done with me, they throw me aside. He'll explain why nobody's proud that I'm their wife. They keep divorcing me and probably taking the children that I longed for. He'll explain why all the other women in the village reject me. So I have to go to the well in the middle of the day. He'll explain my pain and he'll explain my behavior and he'll give me a paradigm to live life in. I heard there's a guy that can do that. And I want that guy to exist. We want Jesus to be Jesus. I do. I, I want Jesus to heal me. I heard there's a Messiah that can heal my pain. If he could get me out of this pain, if that's true, I heard there's a Messiah that can heal my shame. If my life could be defined by what's in front of me instead of what's behind me, if, if the old could be gone and the new could be what drives my life, I heard there's a Messiah that will give me a parameter. If I could somehow make sense of what's happened to me and maybe even redeem it or something. I want that to be true. And the woman at the well, she wanted this Messiah to show up. Because if this guy can do that, it would be life-changing. And Jesus looked at her, one of the greatest sentences in the whole Bible, and he says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I actually exist. I actually can do what you want me to do. Ready? And I'm sitting here at your well. A lot of times we don't believe that the Messiah who could heal me, help me, change me, redeem me and give me some kind of context to live in. We kind of hope that he's out there and we kind of hope that he can do that. But we just assume he would never come to our well. Because my well is my place 
that represents my shame and my pain and my sin. My well is my habit. My well is my behavior. My well is my sin. I go there by myself in the middle of the day and take a drink out of it. And if God is who he says he is, he's out there somewhere. Maybe if I sobered up, maybe if I changed my life, but man, if I walk into that building, it's gonna burn down or God's gonna get me or something's gonna happen. It would rarely cross our mind when I'm in the middle of my destructive behavior, I'm in the middle of my sin, I'm in the middle of my addictions, that the Messiah would walk 30 miles out of his way just to meet me at the well. Because Jesus is not repulsed by your sin, he's not repulsed by your addictions, he's not repulsed by your behavior, he's heartbroken by it. Because he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came so that we could be saved through him. This dear lady was so close. Because in the middle of all of her junk, she hoped that there was this Messiah. And she got so close. Because this is what happens. A lot of times at the bottom of our spiral, when I'm really frustrated with myself, when I don't like this part of me, that tends to be where we think about God the most. We'll give him a shot. We'll pray a little bit. We'll go to church a little bit. We'll talk to somebody about something a little bit. We're desperate enough that we're tired of it and my well is running dry and we hope that this savior can actually exist and he can explain everything to us and there's this fine line. There's this fine line because I am thirsty My soul is like dehydrated. And the hope that somebody could meet that need in a way that it hasn't been met so that I have an outcome that I've never had before is a powerful and an overwhelming hope. Now Jesus says something. We read this earlier, but let's look at it. When he first met her, he said, everybody who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When I go to the well, I go to the well because I'm parched. My soul is parched. I need something. I need to feel good. I need to feel pleasure. I need to feel an, uh, feed an addiction. I need to feed an ego. I need to do something because I have a longing in me that's meant to cause me to search for God. But if I've taken God off the table, I'll search for something. And I'm at the well because I'm thirsty and Christ is at the well with me. And Jesus says, listen, dear lady, the reason that you're thirsty is because you're drinking the wrong water. You're drinking these things. You're drinking five husbands and a boyfriend. 
You're trying to fill the needs of your soul with something that dehydrates your soul. You guys ever drank a cold Coke on a hot day? I love Coke. Just that sugar, corn syrup, diabetes machine. Like, don't you just love that? And it tastes so good going down. And you think, Jeff, that's crazy. I drink Diet Coke, which is great, more chemicals. And so you just drink that going down. You know what Coke does when you drink it? Coke actually dehydrates you. It feels good, it feels smooth, but it actually dehydrates your body. Jesus looks at her and he said, here you are at the well because you're thirsty, your soul's longing. Five husbands and a boyfriend. I'm gonna lean back in that behavior, back in that addiction. He's like, I get, the thirst is not the issue. The thirst is actually something I created in you. You're just drinking the wrong water. You're drinking the things that parch your soul even more. The Messiah that you hope for, the God that can heal you, the God that can help you, the God that does love you, he's not out to get you, he would have got you. I'm meeting you at your well, I'm meeting you at your point of thirst, but you have to drink this living water. And your longing is not the problem. Your solution is the problem. And when we're at the bottom and we're desperate and we're broken and we're frustrated, ready? In some ways you're never closer to Christ than right there. But if you pick up the wrong thing, it's a fine line between winning, losing, victory, defeat, a hilarious story, and a tragic one. And Christ is at the well. And he's offering to do what you're longing to have done. See? He's offering to satisfy the soul But we have to pick up the right cup, so to say. Right? Sometimes we do things out of pure rebellion against God. Careful. I wouldn't want to square up with God. Most of the time we do things because we've done them. It's a habit, it's a pattern, it's familiar. Because this pain, that dear lady knew how to operate in this pain, she didn't know how to operate in this faith. She knew how to operate controlling her own life, she didn't know how to operate surrendering her life. She knew how to operate in disbelief. She didn't know how to operate in belief. It's just familiar. I can make sense of my brokenness. I could predict, but after husband number two, I could predict how the other ones were gonna go. But to accept Christ 
to choose to believe in something different, to choose to allow the word of God and the power of God and the spirit of God to change us. It's a fine line. We can be so close. As Jesus is at your well, he's at your well. He's not afraid of your sin. He died for it. He knows it anyways. <laughs> well, if God found out, well, he kind of knows everything, so. He already found out. And he already chose to love you. But at the well, God kind of talks turkey. Why are, we, why are we raw on this merry-go-round? You're addicted to pornography. Can we deal with that? You're having an emotional affair. Can we talk about that? You're acting out of your wounds and abuse. Have you interacted with that? You're addicted to substances. Alcohol, drugs, food, caffeine, Sugar. Can we just talk turkey? Because I came to meet you here. I came to find you. I came because I love you. And I came because I know that you were hoping I would. Because you want there to be a Messiah. You want help, and you want healing, and you want a paradigm that God can make sense in, and so I'm here. I know exactly who you are. And if you could trust me by faith, maybe it's salvation, maybe it's a secret, if we could bring the fruitless deeds of darkness into the light, then the power of who I am can actually take hold in your life. Right? This lady made that decision. We know that because later on in chapter 4, verse 39, the Bible tells us, it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, her, the woman at the well. She said, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Isn't that fascinating? Guys, you gotta hear something. What? He called me out on my husband's and my boyfriend. He told me everything I ever did. Hear that? She's not ashamed. She's not embarrassed. She's not angry. She's relieved. He knows all of my junk. And he's the Messiah. 
and he healed me and he helped me and he can heal you and he can help you. See how it works? She didn't hide from God. She embraced him. In her moment of thirst, Christ met her at the well. When we sense God, when our souls are unsettled, we're at the well. When you feel convicted, when you feel embarrassed or ashamed, God didn't come to condemn you. He's not rubbing your nose in it. You're just at the well. When you feel hopeful, when you long, man, if that if that is true, Jeff, you're just at your well. And Christ is there. And he already knows. And he came to meet you, to forgive you, to accept you, to free you. This lady could have taken a drink of water and left. You can be so close, right? so close. Faith is choosing to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. We accept his salvation by faith we accept his healing by faith. We accept his help by faith. We accept his redemption by faith. And there's a fine line. There's a fine line. And what you choose to do in your moment at your well will define the direction of your life. Christ would want us to, by faith, embrace all that he is, right? Jesus, would you help us? Lord, I think the well's scary. We're so conditioned to put up a facade, so conditioned to push down our pain, and so conditioned to live in our lives, God, that it's scary, it's vulnerable, it's I feel naked at the well. But God, you meet us there to give us something else, what we really want to drink. So God, in these moments, would you give us courage at the well? Peace, comfort, invitation. Because if we could know you, know your mind, but also your heart, the depth of your love for us, if we could accept that and trust it and rest in it, then God, you give us the life that we long for. Not a life of comfort and wealth and all that nonsense, but healing, security, hope, 
peace, transparency, that life. Where we're not ashamed of who we are, we're actually just kind of blown away by who you are and what you want to give to us. In these moments, God, would you press in in very personal and individual ways God, give us a longing and a faith to embrace who you are.